This is an exciting time of the year. Fall is one of my favorite times of the year, and it's a time to connect. For so many months, we've been disconnected, scattered, and we're going to regather in many ways. Life groups are starting up. If you're not in a life group, check it out. We'll help you find a night, a location that works for you. My life group is starting this Tuesday, and I miss the people in our life group. We have so much fun together. We get into God's Word. Lives are changed. It's powerful. And my life group this Tuesday, and overall, all of our life groups, about 50 life groups are starting up again now. And that's just one thing that God's doing. In terms of reconnecting on the weekends, this is, this is something I've been looking forward to for months. We are reopening on the weekends. That's Saturday night at 5 and Sunday at 9. We're going to start there. And in the building, we might open up more, but we'll start there. And we want to welcome you back. Of course, we'll have social distancing, masks. They'll be cleaning. We'll make it as safe as possible. Uh, but at the same time, we're ready to worship the Lord together, to get into his word, and to be here on campus. So, Starting next weekend, September 12th and 13th, Saturday night at 5, Sunday at 9. Make sure you reserve your spot. We have limited spaces. And then we're going to prayerfully take it one step at a time. We have three options now on the weekend, not only here on campus. And praise the Lord that there'll be no more empty rooms because I just want to see you again and talk to you and, and hear your voice again. And on campus, it'll be open. I think I've said that a couple times. But also, church at home, uh, grace at home. You can open up your home, invite family, friends, and neighbors to watch and experience the service with you, to seek God together. You can also gather as a life group. And that's a great option for people who aren't ready yet for a bigger group, but still want to be around some other people. And then the third option is, for some people, in terms of safety precautions, it's really wise to not be around people right now. And for you, we have online streaming and our usual three platforms. That's graceandauburn.com, the website. Also the Grace Facebook page and Grace YouTube. All this to say, it is time to reconnect. It is time to gather together and God is doing it. He's bringing us together. I think of the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37 and God fills them with their spirit and they get connected as they're filled with the Holy Spirit, connected. God raises them up and it's such a powerful vision and picture. And that's the picture I have this fall as we're coming together again. Uh, we've been in a series this summer in Isaiah. Today we're in Isaiah chapter 61. We're near the end of this book, 66 chapters. The prophet Isaiah pointing to Jesus. We're going to see today that Jesus restores. Jesus is the restorer. And Isaiah chapter 61 is an inspiring chapter that directs us to Jesus. And Labor Day weekend, school is starting. Our kids, uh, we have four kids that started school a couple days ago. And then also a lot of kids are starting up on Tuesday. Let's pray. Let's pray for kids. Let's pray for parents as there's a lot of uh, basically learning is in the house instead of at school. And then pray for the educators as well. Let's do that right now together. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for sustaining us, protecting us this summer. Thank you for the vision of reconnecting for this fall. Jesus, thank you that you are our restorer. And God, we pray for every child 
for the environments at home and learning and spiritually. God, we pray that you would raise up this young generation to be on fire for you, love you, to know your love and your restoration. We also pray that you'd be with educators and also parents, God, who are making adjustments, trying to teach at home, guide school at home. We pray that you give them extra strength and a strong connection with the kids as well. Jesus, most of all, we want to learn about you. We want to seek you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to do it together as a family. God, multi-generational, multicultural, coming together as your family. And we give you praise for what you're going to do now as we get into your word. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 61 can be summed up with this big idea. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. I want to say that again. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. That's abide and respond. We abide with Jesus who is our restorer. We bring to him the areas of our life that are devastated. And as we draw close to him, he restores and builds us up. And then we look around, we see devastated relationships and places, and we enter in with his love and his power. It all starts with Jesus. It's all centered on Jesus. And Isaiah chapter 61 begins talking about the restorer, the great restorer, Jesus. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. We're in Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. The most important part of this chapter and the Bible and our lives is to know Jesus and to know the restorer. Jesus is described in this passage. This is a messianic text looking ahead. Isaiah wrote about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was looking ahead, pointing people to the Savior, to the restorer. And what we read about Jesus is that he's anointed. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus Christ, Christ not the last name of Jesus, but the anointed one. The word Messiah, what does that mean, Messiah? It means anointed one. So why all the significance about anointing? Well, in the Bible we see there's an anointing with oil. And oil, there was a soothing, a brightening. Oil was symbolic of great joy. With anointing, there's great joy. And oil was placed on someone and they were stepping into a position when there was a calling. The anointing of oil was linked to priests, prophets, and kings. We see anointing in the Old Testament. We see anointing of priests, prophets, and kings. And now here's Jesus who's anointed, and not one or the other or the third, but instead all three. Here comes Jesus the Restorer who's a priest, a prophet, and a king. And he's anointed, anointed with oil. But then in the Bible there's a link between oil and the Holy Spirit. Anointing with oil is one thing, and it's symbolic, it's physical, but anointing with the Holy Spirit is far more significant. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're wondering, how do you become anointed? What does that look like to be filled with the Spirit? It means that you come to God, you confess your sins, you trust him and yield to him. And as you yield and confess your sins, he fills you and you can ask, God, fill me with your presence today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit as prophet, priest, and king. And our calling is also to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us. That is his will, that you be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. So anointing is very significant when we consider who Jesus is as a restorer. And also, we're made in God's image. And God also anoints us. Why the anointing? The anointing comes in our lives so that we will be filled with God's love and power. What are we going to do now that we're anointed? What does Jesus do with the anointing and the Holy Spirit working through him? We read that Jesus heals the brokenhearted and he delivers those who are in darkness. He heals the brokenhearted. You look around at how many people are distraught, how many people are sad, how many people are hurting right now. Jesus sees the pain and he brings healing. He heals the brokenhearted. He comforts. But then he also delivers those who are in darkness. And you look around these days and you see so much sin and there's so much darkness and so much rebellion. Jesus can deliver us from patterns of sin, from strongholds of sin. He can change hearts. He can change cities. He can change countries. He delivers from darkness and he also heals the brokenhearted. I would say the year 2020 has felt like a battle in many ways. And we continue to see different battles rage on. Uh, there's intensity, there's tension, and there's just flat-out battles. But what is the primary battle that's happening in 2020? A lot of people are talking about COVID. And then there's a lot of different preferences, interpretations, opinions. Uh, there's a lot of battles over masks, social distancing. There's battles over reopening. There's battles right now in terms of economic situations, jobs. There's battles over leadership. There's battles right now uh, when you think about uh, sometimes in the home, even in marriage or with kids, with siblings, there can be different battles and political battles. There's just a lot of battles but make no mistake about this. The primary battle in 2020 is the same primary battle throughout the history, not only in the Bible uh, that we see it, but throughout all of history, the primary battle is between God and the devil. God and the devil, angels and demons. There's a spiritual battle that's being played out. There's a lot of smaller battles, but the primary battle in 2020 is between God and the devil. We need Jesus. We need the restorer to prevail against the devil and demons and spiritual darkness. The primary battle in our own lives every day is between the spirit and the flesh. That's the primary battle for us. It's not uh, in a realm of, you know, masks. It's not in a realm of social distancing. The primary battle in our lives every day is between the spirit and the flesh. And we need an anointing to choose the Holy Spirit to stay out of the works of the flesh and rebellion. And we stop telling God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do relationships my way. I'm going to do social posts my way. No, we say, God, we want to go your way. We want to choose the spirit every day. Die to sin. Live for Jesus. That's the most important battle personally, primarily, that we choose every day. So let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus declares, this is the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. This goes back to, uh, in the Old Testament, there was the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25. This was the 50th year. So after seven sevens, that's 49 years, seven times seven, my math not as sharp as it used to be, but I got that one. The 50th year is this year of Jubilee. Well, what's happening in the year of Jubilee? A couple things. Land is returned, slaves are freed, and debts are obliterated. 
Isn't that good? All debts are obliterated. If you've lost land, you return the land. Slaves are now free. It's the year of Jubilee. It's a new beginning. And this is very significant. Uh, as the Lord's favor is declared, as Jesus steps up, uh, and there's prophecy in Isaiah. But then Jesus, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 61. By the way, Isaiah 61 is on the center of our gym floor right here. This is a significant verse, uh, Grace Community Church, over the years. And Jesus uh, is quoting Isaiah. This is Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 20. Right after he quotes Isaiah, then Jesus rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened to him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, this is Jesus' hometown, Nazareth. It's a town where people said, what good can come from Nazareth? God can work through people and places that have been devastated, that are underestimated, that are overlooked. And people are saying, what good can happen here? Watch what God's doing. What good can happen during a COVID crisis? Watch what God's doing. What good can happen in 2020? Watch what God's doing. Jesus the Restorer shows up in Nazareth and he reads Isaiah. Notice he didn't read the complete first two verses. He paused after the Lord's favor. He didn't read the next sentence, the next phrase, talking about the vengeance of the Lord. What's the significance of the pause? This was not an accidental pause or an unintentional pause. Jesus read the first verse and a half of Isaiah chapter 61 and then the pause right after the Lord's favor. Jesus, there's two advents with him. Two advents. The first time he comes, he's declaring the Lord's favor and it's grace and, uh, and he's always full of grace and truth. But this is a message of forgiveness of sins. Now, when he returns, the second advent, that's right after the pause. He is a righteous restorer, and when he returns, it's going to also include his wrath. He's going to finally take care of the devil, demons, and also everyone opposed to him, rejecting him, slandering him. It's going to be intense when he returns. The Bible's very clear about that. Always full of grace and truth, but at first time Jesus came, a real emphasis on this, the Lord's favor. And then when he returns a second time, he's coming as a righteous restorer who's also going to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. So don't miss that pause in the second verse of Isaiah. And Jesus, after he's reading Isaiah, he rolls up the scroll, takes it over there, and then he begins to preach and he says something very radical. It would have caught everyone's attention. He said, today, this passage is fulfilled in your sight. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the one Isaiah talked about as the great restorer, and Jesus is now here as the Messiah, the anointed one, and he's saying this little town of Nazareth, kind of like, you know, manger, out of the way. Nazareth, it's not really what you expect, the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's saying it's fulfilled right now. In other words, he's the Messiah. He is God. I'm going to talk about Jesus being God in a few minutes. Uh, Jesus is God. He's the fulfillment. And also, right after he declares that, he gives two examples of Gentiles, the widow in Zarephath, uh, Naaman as well, two Gentiles that God is restoring. And that's powerful because for a Jewish audience at that time, that's going to break them out of the mold and out of the box that God's restoration is very personal 
as he names the widow in Naaman, and it's very global. It's for Jews and Gentiles. It's for people of every age, people of every color, people of every nation. God's restoration is love and his power. This is the good news, folks. This is the good news. There is a restorer. His name is Jesus. He's the anointed one. He's anointed. God's love and power restores, and this restoration is global and personal, and it's complete. It's full. And Jesus uh, couldn't love us more. Jesus wants to restore you today. Nothing more important in your life right now than to know Jesus, to receive his love, his restoration, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Trinity working together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, restoration in your life. Receive it. That's what Isaiah's message was to a people and to a nation that was hurting and struggling and in turmoil. They were devastated. They needed a restorer. We need a restorer. Let's talk about this devastation. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. Let's talk about the devastation that we're experiencing. People feel devastation. Look at Isaiah chapter 61 in verse 3. Jesus provides for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, in a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Let me say that again, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Notice that when you're following God, when you're following Jesus, there is a grieving with hope. It doesn't say that mourning is wrong or mourning is unhealthy. That's not what the Bible says. A lot of people will twist it and try to make you look unspiritual if you're grieving or sad or mourning. That's not what the scripture says. But instead, with the grieving, there's also a hope. And there's also, instead of just grieving with the spirit of despair, there's a grieving with the spirit of praise and, a, and a, an abiding with God during the most difficult times of our lives. And we see that God is sufficient and Jesus is a restorer in those times, in the deepest, darkest valleys. Jesus is there restoring. For the Israelites, this was a nation that needed restoration. First there was rebellion, and then with rebellion comes division. Because when you rebel against God, it's hard to stay united. With their sin and rebellion, it led to division. And instead of 12 tribes being together, there was 10 in the north and two in the south. The 10 in the north went into exile. Assyria took over. And then two in the south there's going to be a Babylonian invasion in 586 BC. That then the people are taken into exile. So notice how the nation falls. There's rebellion, and then there's division internally, and then there's external invasion. And this is how so many nations fall. That pattern, rebel against God, division internally, and then externally, here comes uh, the invasion. And now they're in exile. Well, what does exile feel like? Uh, for them, exile meant that they were mistreated. Exile means injustice. Exile means misplaced. Exile means a lot of isolation, not connected. Sometimes exile can lead to a spirit of despair. For a lot of people in 2020, it's been a year of exile, feeling disconnected, feeling isolated, feeling distant, feeling misplaced, feeling like there's restrictions, feeling like there's some oppression. And ultimately, it can lead to a spirit of despair. Some people right now have a spirit of despair. They don't see the hope. Their, their words, their attitudes, 
it's just oozing despair and negativity and it's kind of toxic. And if you're around it, you can see it. Social media, personally, you get texts, you hear what's going on and you're like, there's a spirit of despair here. Well, I want to declare so clearly that Jesus is a restorer. He restores devastated people. There's hope in Jesus' name. There's power and love in Jesus' name. In 2020, in the COVID crisis and everything attached to it, will not last. This will pass. We don't have to carry a spirit of despair or defeat, but there's a spirit of victory in the Lord. This is the restoration that comes through Jesus. I was reading an article. This is by Yuri Friedman. And uh, Yuri doesn't follow Jesus, but I thought this article was so kind of profound, sincere, it's a little bit melancholy, but it caught my attention. The name of the article is, my son is looking to me for answers and I don't have them anymore. So honest. My son, his son is five years old. My son's looking for answers and I don't have the answers anymore. Uh, Yuri is a very caring parent and he's tried to guide his son, he and his wife, through this time of pandemic and crisis and so many adjustments. And they've tried to provide every activity for their son, keep him active, you know, enjoying different things. And then he said recently his son has kind of pivoted and now asking his really deep questions. Before bed, here's some of the questions. Does space ever end? How would you answer that to a child? The next question, how do emotions work? That's a lifelong journey, isn't it? But how do emotions work? We do know some things. And then how does the weather work? You can explain some things to a child about the weather, but those are big questions. Uh, Little minds have big questions, and this is coming from a five-year-old. But then here's the next set of questions, and they're spiritual questions. What is God? Who made the world? What happens when you die? And Yuri's receiving those questions from his five-year-old son, and he's just saying, I don't have any answers. And I think about that conversation, and I think about God's love and goodness, and I think about how many homes in America where those questions are being asked by kids, and there's just no answers. Uh, Let's go back to those questions, right? What is God? I would say, who is God? God is not a force or a concept, but a relationship with a loving God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As we read about the Son, we see the Son, the glory of the Father is revealed. We can have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Uh, Then you say, uh, who made the world? We know Jesus is the creator. What happens when you die? You can be with God forever. God loves you more than anyone else. We're talking about a personal, deep relationship, but also it's an eternal relationship. Heaven's real. God is real. I'm not here to just try to answer questions or give theological answers to it, but what I'm saying is the hearts of the father to the hearts of the kids and the hearts of the kids to the hearts of the parents in that connection. And what's the role of a parent? It's to pour into a child and spiritually to raise them up and build them up. And yes, the church plays a role, but at home, before bed, those are the moments, those are the times. And Yuri is just saying, I don't have answers. I don't have any answers. And I think people at that time in Israel just felt like we don't have answers for our kids, for us. We don't know how long is, you know, what's going to happen in exile? What are the Babylonians going to do to us? And, And they had a spirit of despair. They didn't have answers and they just missed the restorer. And so where's Jesus in all of this? We read here, Jesus meets us in exile. Jesus meets us in devastation. Jesus starts to whisper. Jesus starts to say words like comfort, freedom, deliverance, hope, healing, provision, gladness, goodness, 
a spirit of praise. And we hear that as we're devastated, as we're weary, as we don't know the path forward, as sometimes we're confused and yet we hear Jesus saying this and, and we're listening to Jesus and, and, you know, the good shepherd is Jesus and we're the sheep and we're trying to follow the shepherd and we're trying to listen and we're, we're kind of believing and we're going back and forth like, you can, you will, you want to restore, you could do this, Jesus, in exile, you could still do this. He's a restorer. He meets us in our devastated places and he has transformative love and power. In fact, we read that Jesus starts to build oaks of righteousness. Think about oak trees, solid, deep roots, nutrients. Jesus takes us, instead of being blown around, trampled on, defeated, oaks of righteousness, standing with what the Lord deposits in us, and he deposits, I mentioned the Holy Spirit, his word, his love, his hope. He deposits in you resources, time, talent, treasure. He deposits in you a vision. He deposits in you experiences. He deposits in you opportunities. He just keeps bringing more and more, and you abide, and you receive, and you go deep, and the roots from the different oaks of righteousness are connected and intertwined, and then what's the end result? For the display of his splendor in our homes, in our church, in our communities, in the nations, God raises up oaks of righteousness. What is God doing in 2020? I believe in the middle of the crisis, he is raising up oaks of righteousness for the display of his splendor. How does God work? He meets people in the devastated places. He brings restoration. He makes things solid and deep and strong for the display of his splendor. And there's a word in Isaiah that's very significant throughout the entire Bible. Uh, it's the word priests. Isaiah 61, verse 6. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. What does that mean, that you are a priest? What does that mean, that you're a minister of God? This goes back in the book of Exodus. God says this will be a holy nation, and God is raising up priests. You will be my priests in a holy nation, a holy nation to bless other nations. Uh, I pray that our country, America, would be a holy nation, honoring Jesus, walking with Jesus, and blessing the other nations, a holy nation and also priests. Now, there's an old covenant in the Bible and there's a new covenant. In the old covenant, the priest had a very important role. Some people were priests. They were anointed. They were priests. And they stood as a mediator between God and the people. And the priest would hear the word of the Lord and then speak to the people. And the priest would also represent the people coming before God and take the needs of the people in a mediator role, some priests. But then Jesus comes and he is prophet, priest, and king. And as the high priest, the great high priest, he is the one who is that mediator. And right now he's on the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We have a high priest. We don't need to go to an earthly priest to confess our sins. We can go directly to the throne of grace. But this is so significant. As Jesus is our high priest, now Jesus says, not just a couple people are priests, not just a couple people are anointed, but all of his followers are priests. This is the work of the priesthood that God was doing throughout the Bible. You are a priest. All of his followers are priests. And that also means that we don't have just a couple people that can get into the Bible, but all of God's people can get into the Bible themselves. We don't have a couple people that just pray over there, but all of God's people can fast and pray. We don't just have a couple people 
people are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. God raises up priests, why? To go reach the world. Who? Reach all people, all generations, all people that are devastated, all nations. This is how God's working. The priests were symbolic, pointing to the great high priest Jesus who comes, is our high priest, and Jesus raises up not just oaks of righteousness, but priests who will literally bless the nations and priests who God is restoring, priests for the display of his splendor that bring his love and his power. This is how God works. Uh, This is a beautiful story. This is a beautiful picture of how God works in every generation and how God is working today. Jesus, Jesus restores. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. We are devastated people who Jesus restores. And then Jesus, through that restoration, sends us to devastated places. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 61. Take a look at verse 4. What are we going to do, right? What's the plan? What do we do right now? 2020. Uh, How are we going to follow Jesus? Abide and respond. Here we go. Verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. There's been generational devastation. Some things have been there. Now, we are so grateful. We have an amazing country by God's grace. There is uh, so many just decades of God's faithfulness and provision in our country, and we're moving in the right direction in so many areas. But we also have devastation that's been there for generations, and we see it with families. We see it Uh, in our culture. We see it spiritually, and we need to go into those devastated places, abiding with Jesus, responding. And uh, how does God work? This is how he works. First, he restores your soul. Then he restores your city. First, he restores your soul. Then he restores your city. That restoration work that's deep and personal then begins to overflow into the city. And it's a process. God leads us Churches are so important right now in America. Churches are essential. Churches are so important. Why? Because in churches, and not just in the building, but also in life groups, and when we gather together, church is the people. Uh, we're not building and program-centric. We're, we're centered on Jesus, and it's about the people and the relationships primarily. When churches are healthy, when churches are vibrant, churches in our land, souls are restored. And when souls are restored, then families begin to have restoration. Then neighborhoods and communities begin to have restoration. But we need this restoration from Jesus so that we are empowered and equipped to go to the devastated places, your soul and your city. Jesus is sufficient with both. The the verbs here are rebuild, restore, renew. And it's kind of an exhortation, like let's rebuild. What are we going to rebuild? It says, wherever you see ruins, let's rebuild in the name of Jesus. Let's restore. Wherever you see devastation, let's restore in his power and his love. Let's renew. Whatever you see that's ruined, let's renew. Let's make things better than when we arrived. Let's renew things together, collaborative, transformative. And even if it's been that way for generations, in the name of Jesus, God is not oh, feeling defeated. God is not feeling overwhelmed. Oh, it's, it's been a problem for generations. Well, let's just give up on it. That's not what I read. Uh, instead, God is able. He's sufficient. He gives new vision, new dreams, new hope, and does a new work in a new generation. 
in a great work of a greater love, unity, abiding with Jesus, a spiritual awakening. That's what we need today. And for us to take this in, I really think we need a mindset of both and. Both and. Uh, Let me break that down. It's both doctrine and compassion. It's grace and truth. It's not one or the other. Let's talk about uh, doctrine and truth for a minute. There's been a research poll recently uh, conducted, and this was by uh, Lifeway. And most Americans say that Jesus is not God. The question, is Jesus God? Laid out in our country, dear America, is Jesus God? And most Americans say, no, Jesus is not God. Maybe you expected that, but amongst evangelical Christians, and there was kind of a criteria. These are people really following the Lord, fully following the Lord. Uh, You know what? About 30% say Jesus is not God. That was shocking to me, 30% of evangelicals. And then I saw this stat from the research. 65% of evangelicals also report that they think Jesus is created, not the creator. Uh, Folks, the Bible's so clear. Who is Jesus? He's the creator. He's not created. He's the creator. 65% of evangelicals. Well, what does all this tell us? These are some symptoms that the Bible is missing in people's hearts and homes and sometimes in churches as well. Our church, Grace Community Church, is so committed to going deep into the Word and bringing the Word to the kids, to students, to young adults, to adults, from weekend services to life groups to conversations. Like, we just keep coming back. We trust God's Word. We love God's Word. And uh, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And we need, in America, there's becoming more biblical illiteracy. And we need a renewal of the mind. So we need doctrine. We need the truth. We need the word. But sadly, some people who know the truth the best and know the scripture the best don't have a lot of love and compassion. And it has to be a both and. The knowledge and the love coming together. The knowledge should lead to the love. And then we want to express the love. October 3rd, Lord willing, we're going to have another Grace Loves Auburn. It's going to be a food giveaway. Well, why would we do this again? It is far more than food. Yes, there's people who need food in our community right now, and we can help meet that need. Uh, Last time, I think there was over 500 families we connected with. But even more than the food, it's the touch, it's the love, it's the conversation, it's the praying together, it's inviting to church, it's people getting connected in our church family. Uh, We want to meet practical needs in just authentic ways, loving ways. It's, it's a way we can do it. It's not just about a program, it's a lifestyle, but that is a time we can come together and serve, October 3rd. So I, I share this just as an example of the word we're in Isaiah, and then how are we going to live it out? Let's give away food and love our neighbors and meet people and invite them in and uh, part of this family. And it's a both and. Both and is powerful. Don't settle for just doctrine or truth or don't settle for just staying busy and active and loving people and meeting some needs. Bring it together. It's a both and. Here's one more both and. Home and church. It's a both and. I think before COVID, more people had church kind of compartmentalized and this is the place where you're spiritual. And I think people have realized as a lot of church buildings have been closed for different reasons and and for different lengths of time, uh, we're so glad to be reopening next weekend. I got to say that again. Uh, but, uh, But as buildings have been closed, people are rethinking their faith and they're thinking, wait a second, I can't just be spiritual in the church building. Like, I've got to have a vibrant relationship with God at home. It's got to be home and church. 
both and. At home, pray. At home, read the Bible. At home, talk about God. At home, talk about what you're learning. At home, confess sins. At home, we're priests wherever we go. Live, work, learn, or play. And so at home and the church, we need a both and if we're going to be healthy spiritually. Doctrine and compassion. Home and church. Church, maybe we spend 100 hours during the, the year. Maybe a couple hundred hours. Thank you for the people who serve and spend a couple hundred hours here during the year. Uh, but at home, we spend tens of thousands of hours. We need a vision of both and. Compassion, doctrine, uh, home, church. And this is the restoration. This is how devastated places turn around. I want to say it again. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. I want to close with this example from the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Jesus was still there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he made it very clear, you will be my witnesses, you will be my priests, you will be my oaks of righteousness for the display of my splendor, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they heard that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, they heard that, be anointed. They heard that, and they heard it all. They understood it all. That's when they first heard it. But when did they actually do it? It wasn't until Acts chapter 8. Well, what's the context in Acts chapter 8? It's persecution. Stephen's killed. A persecution's going to break out. Saul is right there. That's the apostle Paul before he experienced Jesus. And they're going to start killing people. Christians are being killed. There's devastation. There's mourning. It kind of feels like exile as they're scattered. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, and even in verse 4, we read, as they're scattered, what do they do? God's restoration power. Uh, restoration didn't mean life was going to get easy. Persecution continued. Restoration doesn't always mean that the tragedy's gone or the tragedy stops or the challenges stop. You know, in our country in 2020, the challenges might get more intense the next few months. But that doesn't eliminate, that doesn't restrict restoration Restoration is closeness with Jesus. Restoration is some healing in relationships. Restoration is we have purpose. Restoration is when there's a vision and, and a dream and we're on mission together and there's collaboration. That's the restoration that Jesus brought to the early church. In Acts chapter 8, it's interesting, the persecution almost served to fuel the followers of Jesus, focus the followers of Jesus, and bring a lot of fruit that's our God. He can take something terrible like persecution and murder and still use that in a way to fuel, to focus, and to bring fruit. In Acts chapter 1-8, they heard about Jesus and what he was saying, but in Acts chapter 8, they actually did it. And it's the restoration. Many lives were changed. And what we see in the early church is what we see today. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. They turn the world upside down. Things change. Churches were planted everywhere. The gospel was spread. Thousands and thousands turning to Jesus in a day. I believe there's been so much pressure on followers of Jesus this year. It's felt like a pounding and a battle and intense and just taking it in the church and acts, taking it, taking it, taking it. And then eventually they get filled with the Spirit and they just break out. And I believe we need a breaking out, not, not just breaking out of the building, but into the streets and into homes and the Spirit breaking out. We need that kind of a breakout. Persecution then, pandemic now. What's going to be the story at the end of 2020? What's going to be, if, if people look back and say, 2020, tell me about that year. What are we going to say? Are we only going to say, yeah, it was weird, it was hard, it was pandemic, it was COVID, church was closed for a while. 
Uh, boy, it was tense. Like, is that our whole story? Yes, we mourn, and yes, there's some realities that are challenging, but I believe there's another story in 2020. And I believe that's the year where we say, I went deeper with Jesus. Jesus restored a lot of stuff in my life. I, I began to receive more and learn how to receive from the Lord, his love, his power, oaks of righteousness, and we see that across the land for the display of his splendor. Devastated places that have been in ruins started to have healing. The church woke up. The church came alive. There was an awakening. Church started praying. Church started seeking Jesus at home. Homes were changed. There was an overflow into the streets. I believe this is part of the story of 2020 that God is also writing in the midst of the tension and the chaos and the challenges and the tragedies. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's draw near to the restorer. And may he continue to write the story as we abide with Jesus. And may the story in our lives and the story in our land in 2020 be this. Jesus restores devastated people who restore devastated places. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. that you care so much about us that you sent your son. And Jesus, we worship you. We follow you. We trust you. Thank you for being our restorer. Thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for anyone right now who feels broken down, who feels alone, who feels disconnected, who feels isolated, who feels hopeless. I pray for anyone right now who has a spirit of despair. God, I pray instead of that spirit of despair, there would be a spirit of praise, a spirit of hope, a spirit of joy. I pray for a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit, God. I pray for renewal in your word of of minds today, God. I pray for a fresh vision for the rest of this year. And I pray for a breakthrough. I pray for a coming together in our life groups are coming together, on campus are coming together, Lord, to praise you. And I pray that it would not just stay in our homes of the building, God, but we would go to the devastated places where there's, things are in ruins right now, God. And I pray that we um, would be so filled with your spirit. Give us words, love. Pray we'd roll up our sleeves and go to the devastated places and see your restoration. Guide us together. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This song is uh, building our lives on Jesus, on our restorer, on his love, on his word. Uh, This is a time, 2020, there's been a lot of reflection. Let's take this time right now to seek Jesus, to hear from him, to sing praises to him, and let him restore and rebuild our lives on the foundation of who he is. Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The foundation of his word that's eternal, not just temporary. The foundation of his love that is perfect. Let's set our lives on that foundation. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, make the decision right now to follow him. If you haven't been baptized, I've just heard of a number of people last couple of weeks who want to now be baptized. We're so excited. We're talking about how we can have a baptism coming up. Make the decision that you want to be baptized. You want to get in a life group. You want to get connected. Make Make the decision now. How is God leading you? Let's seek Jesus, worship him, and respond together.